Welcome to Spirit Pictures with Mel Kay. I know, I know. We are here with our inaugural, uh, The Real History of Hollywood. A lot of people are really excited about this show, and so are we. So we're just going to bring in Mel Kay right now. Boom. There you are. Hey, guys. Hey, you what's know, up? Exciting. Crazy. You know, we, we, we started this journey, and then we found that we had so much in common and that we had all spent a significant amount of time in the film business and in yeah. Hollywood on all sides. So uh, it's exciting to share this part of our lives with people that maybe they don't know a lot about and can also uh, learn from and uh, also be participating in our conversation. Yeah, yeah no, we're, it's exciting about it because we have these kind of conversations just standing around <laughs> you know, behind the scenes at the reawaken events or on the phone or, you know, before and, uh, we just were like, you know what, these conversations are really interesting. So why don't we just start having them and record them and maybe somebody will want to watch it. So, um, but one of the things that we wanted to kind of start off with was um, a lot of people don't realize, you know, the, the, the breadth of your work and, you know, what you've been involved in. So, you know, if you could take just a couple of minutes just to share, you know, with people your experience a little bit in Hollywood and, and uh, you know, you know, yeah, some street cred. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, for me, I, uh, I always the only thing I ever wanted to do was go to NYU and make movies. And uh, from a very young age, I. I uh, always best my parents on every birthday. Can we go to Manhattan and go to the Broadway? And then I, I was obsessed with filmmaking. And uh, I ended up having the experience of uh, learning to make movies and going to NYU and uh, fell in love with filmmaking. Uh, basically, I was a, a person that um, saw movies as magical and the way to really touch people. I loved story. I loved uh, creating plot that uh, that was unusual. I liked trying all different kinds of things. And I, I was lucky enough. I've written, um, at this point, I have seven screenplays, uh, a couple of them out there. And um, my experience led me to really focus on historical drama, which is why I, I research the way I do. Because for me, um, historical drama, for people that don't know, is obviously it's based on real life, real history. Yeah. And what that did for me, most of the screenplays I wrote took months, sometimes years to write because a um, like the first big one that I wrote was um, about Eichmann in Jerusalem trial, about Hannah Arendt, who covered it. Uh, and it was based on the book and her, um, she had covered it for the New York magazine. And there was a lot of backlash after she put out what she found uh, and her, how she coined banality of evil after going to that trial. But what it, what it took was to go back in time and find, you know, at the time we had like microfiche and stuff, but find like, what were the, when she wrote this, what was going on in the world? What were the headlines in newspapers? What were people wearing? What did they eat? What did they talk like? You know, what was um, what was the culture at the time? What what was popular in music and in movies and and in in fashion even? Mm -hmm. And you kind of put together. I did it with whole. Every time I did a, a, a historical drama project, you would see my whole wall would be filled with uh, picture, real pictures, and things ripped out of magazines or you know what were the books at the time that were in the bestseller list and <clears throat> and kind of figuring out how people were interacting at that time period. I also wrote another screenplay about Hemingway and Fitzgerald in the years that they were expatriates in Paris. And that was the same thing. You know, what did people wear? What did the, what was the topic of conversation? Say now it would be like, what's trending on Google <laughs> or what's trending on, uh, on Twitter. But then it was, you know, what, what's in the newspapers? What is at the time, you know, arts theater was very big. Like what were people flocking to in terms of entertainment? Um, 
all the way down to like, what was the cuisine at the time that was, you know, that the hot thing or who was famous at the time and why and what, what were they appealing to? So I think um, my, my approach to filmmaking was always about creating the reality of the time and kind of hoping that the audience, along with the director and the cinematographer and everyone on the set would fight, would make an environment that when the person was watching the movie, they felt like they were transported to that time. And uh, that that's really uh, was my love and my passion. And I spent 16 years in Hollywood doing that. Um, of course, a lot changed in the 2000s. And I think most people saw the change, even not from the inside, but I saw it from the inside. And it became more like, well, we're not going to make that because historical drama is too much money. Or, you know, that's not really the message we want to give or we don't want to do that. And it's stopping about the talent or the quality of the project and more about the message and the narrative. And um, I believe that we're going to go back there. You know, you guys and I talk a lot about um, we've talked about historical figures that we want to bring to life again and also biblical stories. I know you guys have worked on things about King David and other things to bring people into that world and to escape um, the world that they are in for those two hours is such a gift. And I think when done right, it, it changes minds and lives and, and really can redirect uh, society in a way uh, that nothing else can. Yeah. What was the biggest thing that pulled you out of that industry as a whole? Like you're still involved in some stuff. You recently did a project, but you said, I'm not going to be in the midst of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, uh, it was more leaving L.A., Hollywood. That, that was my thing. I Because uh, even when I made, moved back to New York, um, actually, when I left New York, there was really very little production here. At the time, Sopranos and Sex in the City and Law and Order were the only things shooting in New York. So if you wanted to, and a couple movies here and there, but not, not like it is or had become, not right now, but before COVID, it was thriving here. So when I moved back, it wasn't, um, like I was moving back to New York and there weren't a lot of jobs. There were. Uh, and I love the business. You guys know once you're in it, there's nowhere I'd rather be than a movie set. No matter how many times I've complained at getting up at three in the morning and being stuck on a set for 15 hours. I love it. <laughs> I miss it. But um, for me, really, what happened was um, I was working in L.A., and I started to see over time. It really started in like the very early 2000s. But what was happening there was that there was a. Um, a uh, covert environment of, like they say, secret societies, but it's real. And there, there's a, a club there, a cult, a group of people that have a tremendous amount of power at the very top. They're not in front of the camera. They're power brokers. I saw these people as stockbrokers of lives and, and picking and choosing. And it started to make less and less sense who was working and who wasn't and who was in the club and who wasn't until I kind of, unfortunately, was in a position where I was high enough up the food chain to know that the connections behind the scenes of these people and the thing that started to disturb me the most was um, I was seeing an, uh, an obvious sexualization of children and uh, a, a normalcy to uh, a pedophile agenda that was real. Uh, and, and, you know, I was invited to enough stuff to know that, you know, when there's kids walking around without parents and they're being introduced as somebody's new client and it's, you know, 1am in the Hollywood Hills, that's something's wrong. Right. And it became more and more normal. And then the more I'd see, I also at the time, you know, I was watching the reality TV world, what was going on there, because I was working at a company that had a bunch of those shows, including the Kardashians. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I was seeing was also a, uh, a degradation of society through these programs, through this, pro these products, you know, it was, 
it was all about greed and vanity and, and set up cat fights and picking favorites and kind of like turning humanity into some kind of consumer machine. It was no longer about, you know, uplifting or educating or inspiring people. It was all about kind of taking people to the lowest common denominator and convincing right. them that that was, that was normal, that that was uh, the way it was. But honestly, I, I saw a lot of the stuff that people talk about um, that they do not know and did not see it. I saw, I saw a lot of satanic stuff. I saw a lot of um, witches covens. It's a real thing, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, like, uh, you know, I'll, I'm inviting you over, but, you know, don't say anything about what's happening here. And, uh, and I became very <laughs> acutely aware of Epstein and Weinstein and, and all of them. So, um, yeah, you know, you, you get to a point where you're like, you know, a lot of people think going to these award shows and all you get to a point where you're like, ugh, again. And and that's sad. That's not what you want. You don't you don't want to feel like you're part of something that's that's harming society. And I did. No, I think it's interesting because I, I remember uh, my first time uh, on a movie set. I was actually I was living in Montana and uh, my uh, down the street, um, uh, the, the, the girl I was uh, dating at the time. Uh, she, um, her parents were helping cater a movie set that, that were, you know, was like 30 miles away from where I grew up and, uh, and I could draw. And so, uh, they said, um, well, Hey, can you, we need a story about out, board out this scene. Um, could you storyboard? And I said, uh, sure. How do you do that? And so actually they, fa they faxed me. Uh, I, I think I still have them somewhere that, um, it's actual storyboards from, uh, the wedding planner before the wedding oh, planner wow. was made, it was actually prior to it actually coming out. And so I actually saw it. It was the scene where her uh, heel gets stuck in the, in the manhole cover. And the, I think the, the, the taxi driver like uh, drops his ice cream cone. And she almost gets hit or something like that. Right. But, uh, but anyway, so I had this scene and I, and I sketched out the little scene for them to film. And then uh, an open up, opening came up to be on the set as a PA and, um, and it was like for like a week or 10 days left on the set, but I was so fascinated mm -hmm. by it because I was, you know, you're there and you're like, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, like they just use one camera and they flip the set. And you know what I mean? Like the whole, you know, concept of it was just so interesting to me. And then, you know, of course, you know, I watched the movie afterwards and it was awful. It was like a B movie. It was like a showtime, <laughs> it was like a showtime, like at two 30 in the morning kind of movie. But, um, but anyway, but it was it was just really cool to be there and to see it behind all of that. And I just be, I fell in love with yeah, the whole yeah. process. And I think what you were saying was just so fascinating is that, you know, there's just such there there's such a magic to filmmaking. And I think that's the like the movie Hugo actually carry kind of captures that. You know, it's like when uh, Millier was first doing his silent films and kind of just figuring it out. And there's this kind of magic to it. And it's so sad to hear what they have, the power brokers, like you're saying, have taken and twisted it and turned it into this vile and despicable thing that that destroys the people's souls that get involved. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the other thing about what you're saying, because it makes me smile, uh, there used to be a, a time in Hollywood on all levels where you had to earn it. Mm -hmm. There was there was this idea, you know, that Lana Turner was picked up on the corner and she became a major movie star. You know, that was like a big story or, you know, very interesting time that we'll talk about at some point is when there was a studio system and how that interacted. But, you know, Hollywood was always uh, in touch with the intelligence community, CIA, all of that. 
But when that turned really dark, so did Hollywood. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it was together. And there was a lot of predictive programming. But the beauty of Hollywood, and for me, myself, I also was a PA. And it's, it's, a, it's a thankless job. It's 100 hours a week. You're not treated very well. But it was kind of like a rite of passage, you know, and, and most people earned it. Most of my friends that became directors, it was a 15 year, 12, 15 year process to get into the DGA. Um, when I was uh, when I first got into SAG in 1994, uh, you had to earn it to get in there. It was it was about 15 years later, um, 10, 15 years later that SAG and AFTRA merged and you no longer had to really you could kind of buy in, which I thought was a which was a bad thing, in my opinion, right. because I, I like the concept of earning it. And yeah. then, you know, you definitely have to earn the Writers Guild. But then once you're in that realm, once you get on a set, people, uh, you guys know, but a lot of people don't know, there's a hundred people on yeah. a movie set and every single person has a specific job. Mm-hmm. And that is that is fascinating to watch the machine. And when you get it, get there, it's kind of like going to war in a way. You get there and every all hands on deck. There's not a moment to spare and, you know, also a lot of people don't know that some of these great actors, they do that scene 30 times, yeah. 10 times from all different angles. And to watch great acting in real life, which I've seen some of the best of the best two yeah. feet away from me in a act, uh, is, is such a gift. It's so amazing. And, and I, I, what, what's happened is really shocking because there's another thing that's happened with talent which is they've substituted in reality stars and, mm. and YouTube stars and TikTok stars for <laughs> actual trained, amazing acting talent as well. Um, but there is nothing like being on a movie set with a uh, total A-list class act people, which still exists. There's more of them than not. It's yeah. just that the power brokers and the money involved. And then, you know, people should know about 15 years ago, they started taking a lot of CCP money in, in mm-hmm. Hollywood and it made a big difference. Yeah. And uh, people don't know that. Yeah. No. And we got offered some of that too. So we were at a family friendly uh, film festival and they, there was tons of people there. And this lady comes over and she's like, you're a director, you're a director, you're a producer. And we're like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, what scripts do you have? And we tell her and she's like, we, we pay you for your film. And so we're like, great, let's talk about it. And we we set up a phone call with a couple of other business partners the next week. And she's like, we give you $10 million today. We're like, great, that's awesome. She's like, it, it, it's coming from China. And we're like, oh, no, right. yeah, no, we're not going to do good that idea. deal. Fully and then they started building Fully funded, ready right. to happen, you know, and then they have their claws in it. But even when you're talking about reality TV, people don't know why they call it reality TV. I don't know why we worked on an episode of BBC top gear and we had Matt LeBlanc and we had, you know, Chris Harris and we were out in the middle of the boonstocks, which is where I grew up. And so I got to take them all over Trinity County. We were searching for Bigfoot. We were searching for Bigfoot, which ended up being Stigfoot. And, um, so you got, they're supposed to be staying the night outside. They didn't stay the night outside folks. We, we put some tents, we filmed the tents. The next day, or I don't even know if it was the next no, day. No, they stayed in a really nice RV. They stayed, yeah, <laughs> they did see an RV because I took them in the middle of nowhere. Um, our catering truck went four-wheeling, but none of it was real. You know, we had a, a girl shoot a, a bow and arrow. Nobody was in danger. You know, nobody was sipping, they're doing their toothbrush out of the creek water. None of that actually happened. We filmed the whole thing. They call it reality. And people think that they did this stuff. 
It's it's right. it's entertainment. It was all yeah, a show. It's all entertainment. You know, and everybody there was like, "How was it? Were you guys cold?" And you're like, "No, we didn't sleep outside." Well, and I, yeah, and I think, go ahead. That's some of it, but I actually do know a couple people who were on Survivor, and those people came back uh, sick for months. Yep. They were, my friend had to be on an IV in a hospital. She was like a runner up. So she was there the whole time. It was her and one guy and the guy won, but she was very, very sick. She was very skinny. And the other thing about those shows is they pick the personalities so that they'll have conflict. So they're not, the casting process is also some kind of psychological uh, evaluation because um, now those shows that we're talking about, the outdoor shows or Bear Gillis or them, that's one thing, but like Big Brother, um, the Housewives show, what the Housewives show and Kardashians is selling is vanity and greed and materialism. But on top of that, they're picking these people because they want them to fight. Yeah. They want conflict. They want, and they want the audience, us, to uh, pick sides. You know, really, it's a very manipulative situation. And and I I really feel like it it did a lot of damage to Hollywood. The reason it was so popular was because it was very cheap to make. You know, making um, one hour uh, shows or even sitcoms is a lot more expensive, takes a lot more time, effort, energy. You also need script writers and, uh, you know, everything across the board. Reality TV was a cheap way and people reacting to it. Mm -hmm. And um, but I saw it as kind of a a, um, it's kind of like Gladiator. It it was a distraction. I think a lot of times um, people don't realize that these people are are really suffering. Um, They pay. A lot of these shows, they pick people that are vulnerable, that are insecure, that are easily mm-hmm. manipulated, and uh, and you watch it in real time. And it's there's a, there's a, a ugliness to to that side of the business when it comes to reality. And then mm-hmm. there's the competition shows, which you know those people they go on the competition show, they have all these promises, and then they the show ends or they win yeah. or whatever, and then very few. It's just you enter into something that I don't think people realize when they take a reality show or they go on American Idol or any of this stuff that you're signing up for something. And after that point, you know, there is a situation where um, agents and managers and all those people, you become a product. Yeah. And, and I think that's what destroys a lot of talent out there that does get successful. You know, we know, obviously, we know the ones that are in the cult, that are mm-hmm. controlled, that'll say anything that the overlords want, because they're the ones that work all the time. But yeah. there's thousands of other people out there that are making a living as mm-hmm. actors or writers or producers that you'll never hear of. But at the same time, they're not in that group that is thrown mm-hmm. out in front of the people uh, or it goes on stage and or gets nominated or any of that. They're just people making a living in that that are lucky enough to have a job. Yeah. Um, but it is it is a a situation where you know people are all up in arms about Britney Spears conservatorship. And I said I turned around and I said everyone who makes it in Hollywood is a conservatorship. Mm-hmm. Your agents and your managers own you. You yep. you become a business and you uh, you then at that point you're supporting. Agents, managers, publicists, yeah. stylists, you know, personal assistant, banking person, uh, b- yeah. business manager. Uh, these big uh, celebrities are are bi- full on businesses 24-7. And a lot of them end up very lonely and isolated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you might see their lives and think that it looks all good. But I've known too many. I mean, the, some of the biggest mm-hmm. people that right. live very lonely lives and, and they, they can't get out because at some point... You know, they they are paying for too much, including their own family. And a lot of times they're extended families and it's all by design. And a lot of these people are trapped 
So yeah. when we see people that go through these public highs and lows, you know, not the ones that they're throwing in our face that are full distraction. You know, every time JLo or Kim Kardashian or Britney Spears does something, it's not, it's not, it's not just organic that mm. that's on the front page. There's mm-hmm. something else in play, but the people that we see that we say, Oh, I haven't seen that actor in forever. Well, you know, that actor probably went through a, a very hard time. It's just very hard to, it's very hard to get in and it's even harder to get out. Right. Yeah, no, and I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, if you actually study back on, um, uh, like I've been, I was reading up on uh, uh, Romanian communism right before the fall and, you know, kind of their, um, basically their CIA. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the tactics they were reading about in that book, you know, you're like, wow, like, I mean, you hear about it, you know, it, it, from these stories in Hollywood, you know, where it's like, it's almost like a honeypot kind of thing. And a lot of people are doing that. And really to do, to read the reason for it is because they understand that communication, they understand that storytelling is just, it, it's a part of who we are as human beings. And, and that if they can control that bullhorn, if they can control that messaging, they can actually try and engineer society towards a certain way. And uh, you just have to become aware of it. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and, and I remember the first time that you know, I that we were talking about probably one of the first times that we witnessed it. We were actually going to show this clip here uh, from uh, Enemy of the State, mm-hmm. uh, where and this Enemy of the State was made in uh, 1999. It came out in 99. And I remember we were watching it, and we had been studying the Patriot Act, and uh-huh. you you watched it, I and was, you were like, I was finishing up my communications degree, yeah. and and so one of it was we had public speaking, and um, and so we we chose the Patriot Act to study mm-hmm. again. The wow. same thing with you, you know, you do some research, all this kind of stuff, and we're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea what was in the Patriot Act. Then I just want to take a break, watch a movie because I don't want to be <laughs> studying anymore, and I go and I watch Enemy of the State. They mentioned nine eleven. They mention uh, twin towers. They mention planes going into buildings. They mention yep. uh, facial surveillance. They have so much stuff. But right now, we're going to have to wrap it up because you have you have multiple uh, interviews going on this evening. And so next week, we're going to have to watch some of these clips. We're going to talk about Hunger Games. We're going to talk yep. about Contagion. We're going to talk about Enemy of the State. We're going to share with you guys some clips from these films. And we're going to discuss the CIA's involvement in movies and some solutions that we have on how we can tell yeah, because, really good stories that have meaning, that have depth. Because there's a magic to filmmaking, yeah. and we wouldn't yeah, be doing it if we didn't, you know, have a love for it. Mm-hmm. And it's because the art of storytelling is is ancient, and it's a part of who we are. And we need to take that back. Mm-hmm. So they've, it's been taken from us; it's been stolen from us. And we want to be a part of that solution of bringing it back to a place where it actually communicates the human experience rather than trying to manipulate the human experience. And none of us are bought by overlords. No. Yeah, and I do think that there is a a quiet revolution going on in the entertainment business and in Hollywood, and there are a lot of projects and people getting involved in the pipeline and and alternatives. Uh, The real problem with getting out really good, positive movies that aren't uh, narrative-based and aren't manipulative propaganda is distribution. Mm -hmm. And you guys and I are working on that. You can make a great movie, I know of many, that are sitting on shelves somewhere because they don't fit the storyline or the... um, or the narrative of the overlords uh, out there. And again, it's the same people. It's become a corporate uh, own, a banking own entity too. Yeah. And uh, we can break out of that. 
we need to decentralize everything. And one of the big things is the arts. And um, yeah, and I also want to talk a little bit. There's a lot of, um, in one of the next shows that we do, there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of uh, trials right now. We have the Weinstein trial, the yeah. Masterson trial, the Haggis yeah. trial. There's a lot of uh, issues about um, that we'll, we'll hopefully cover uh, about the Me Too movement and, and uh, the, the what's, you know, uh, what did they change it to? Um, uh, and the uh, Time's Up movement and a lot of mm -hmm. these movements in Hollywood that are not organic. They, they mm -hmm. are totally uh, orchestrated and manipulated. And I, I think the more people stop looking at the distractions that are being yeah. put out of Hollywood and start looking and digging in to what is good, because there's a lot more good and there's a lot of talent out there that deserves to be working and deserves a shot. And they're not getting it because of the powers that be. But I, I have a feeling that that's, uh, that's about to crack wide open. And um, I, I look forward to talking about some of the ugly stuff, but also some of the good stuff really that's good coming stuff. too. Oh, we got to talk about solutions. We're all about hope and we're all about like, hey, how do we write this ship, right? Because yeah. <laughs> ultimately we're going to win and we got to know how to go forward, right? With, with, with truth and light and freedom and hope. So yeah, and like everything else, if we know it and we see, like yeah, you guys do great great presentations on propaganda, if you know it and you see it and you call it out, and you, it will no longer work. Right. And, and, and that's a big part too. It can't work anymore if we don't, and nobody's buying it at this point because it's there. All of the stuff that we <laughs> love, the talent, the plot, the, the, uh, the passion, the love, it's been sucked out, but it'll be back in. And But I'm, I'm enjoying watching, you know, things, them keep trying to throw stuff at us and realizing mm -hmm. it's not working because you'll see a lot of the studios even netflix they're they're taking full turns the other direction they know this woke stuff and this brainwashing and this manipulation is being exposed and once exposed as we'll do on this show more and more uh people won't want it anymore and that'll open up the door for good projects like the ones you guys are working on and many i know of out there that are uh in in different phases of production and uh i think we'll see the light of day and uh really have a plethora of great entertainment for our families and for ourselves in the future. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to end up setting up a fund where people can donate to mm -hmm. projects that we're all going to yep. create together. Yep. Right. In the meantime, we thank you guys so much for hanging out with us and we look forward to seeing you next time. See you next week, Mel. See you guys.